Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer's Sermon Podcast. The readings appointed for this sermon are from the book of Genesis, chapter 50, verse 15 through 21, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 14, verse 1 through 12, the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 18, verse 21 through 35, and Psalm 103, verse 8 through 13. God grant us serenity to accept the things that we cannot change, courage to change the things that we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, this is one of my favorite stories that Jesus tells. This is like in my top 10 stories that Jesus tells today. Uh, it's, It's a story of forgiveness And what Jesus is working with today is our understanding or our misunderstanding of what forgiveness really is and how forgiveness really works. Before he tells the story, the whole stage is set. Of course, it's framed by Peter approaching him and saying, so Jesus, how often should I actually forgive someone? Up to seven times? And I love this because you can tell that Peter is is trying. He's trying. He's been with Jesus for a little while now. He's starting to understand this whole mercy thing. And, you know, instead of not forgiving anyone at all or only forgiving them once, he's like, I could get up to seven, which if you've ever been around people, that's a pretty high number. Forgiving the same person seven times? I'm I'm like a five tops guy myself, right? So seven? And that's what Peter does. He goes, I'm going to get, and it's, by the way, seven, great biblical number. Like he's really working Jesus here. It's fantastic right? Could I forgive someone up to seven times? And Jesus looks at him and goes, seven? How about 77? Which is just not fair at all. That's not a number you would have guessed. Um, In fact, I I have a friend who used to say that um, he thinks Jesus picks 77 because that's just too high for you to remember. And so you'll be counting how many times you've forgiven someone and you'll lose count and you have to start all over again. Because that's how Jesus is actually talking about us working. By going from 7 to 77, what Jesus is doing is he's actually trying to destroy our whole way of counting, trying to destroy the way that we keep count, how we keep score. Because we do that, we'll keep score on people, right? We'll keep score. You never go out with someone for a meal and they'll be like, you know, I'll get you next time. And like, oh, you got this time and I got, and you get, and you watch these, or maybe you see, when I was a kid, I used to watch my parents do this with whoever we were out to dinner and they'd fight over it. And it's like, what are y'all doing? eat and enjoy each other. No, we've got to each be even. We've got to keep score. Jesus is trying to get rid of that completely. And, and it's not necessarily obvious to us that he's trying to do that by the story that he tells, frankly, because of a problem of we don't actually know the, the kinds of money that he describes in, in his parable. That's not like talents and denarii. That's not things that we understand, okay? So he talks about, and I want you to hear this, the, the slave owing the master uh, 10,000 talents. And you're like, ooh, 10,000 bucks sounds like a lot. Well, 10,000 bucks is a lot, except the 10,000 talents is roughly related to $60 million. So the story that Jesus is telling is about a working class guy who owes his boss $60 million. Does that sound a little unreasonable? Yeah, it is. Friends, it's not possible. Jesus is telling a story. He's telling a story about a person who owes a completely unreasonable and unpayable debt. Impossible. 
It's such a ridiculous number that when the master says it's time to call to account and pay for it, the servant goes, I'll do whatever I can. I'll work for the rest of my life. I'll pay you back, I swear. And the master's like, <laughs> I mean, no, you won't. You're never going to make $60 million. Are you going to play the lottery? Like, what's your plan? In that moment, the master forgives him. And the point isn't that he forgives a big debt. The point is that he forgives an unforgivable debt. The point isn't that he forgives something that the slave would have to spend the rest of his life trying to pay off. The point is that he's forgiving something the slave will never, ever, in all of history, possibly pay off. It's not possible. That's the point. So this slave is forgiven, and then he turns around, and he's so excited, and he goes out, and in the middle of his excitement, he sees his other slave friend, who it says owes him, how many denarii do we remember? A hundred. Well, that sounds like a lot. And you know, it's not, $5,000. Owes him $5,000. That's not small. $5,000. That's not small. It's kind of small compared to $60 million. He's just been forgiven an unforgivable debt. He has just been forgiven a $60 million debt and he sees someone who owes him five grand, and he goes, put that guy in jail. It's debtor's prison for him. This is the story Jesus is telling. Is he telling a story of how often we should forgive? Of how many times? No. Is he even telling a story of how big a sin we should forgive? Again, no. Jesus is trying to change our relationship with forgiveness. How do you and I, how do we relate to forgiveness? What is our relationship with forgiveness? How do we understand it? He recognizes that most of us keep score. We think of forgiveness as an isolated event where someone does a wrong thing and if it wasn't too bad and if they ask for forgiveness and if they're willing to make amends and if they grovel just right, then I will say the magic words, I forgive you. Don't do it too many times though. Only 77 times will I forgive you. You get to 78 and you and I are through. Jesus is working in a different level here. He's trying to change the way we understand our relationship with forgiveness. I remember uh, the first time I ever went and took confession myself. I didn't know if you knew this, but Episcopalians actually, we do have the right of reconciliation or confession. It's not required, so none of you ever do it. But you could. You could. Here's a little advertisement. You could. And, um, and here's the thing. I was like, I'm in seminary. I'm going to be a priest. I'm going to possibly take somebody's confession. I should probably confess at some point. And, uh, and I found this church and I went to this priest and I said, I wanted to do confession. And he said, all right, here's, have you ever done it before? And I said, no. And he said, well, I want you to go home and I want you to write down every single thing that you can think of in your life that you want to be forgiven for. Anybody who's done the 12 steps and taking your inventory, it was similar to that. 
which is to say it was dreadful and awful. It's like the opposite of Christmas list, like the worst list you could ever make, right? I never want to write this list. Do you know what's worse than writing a list of all the things you want forgiveness for? Reading it out loud in front of another human being. It's awful. And I remember I thought writing it was bad. I went back to see this priest and I sat down with him. He had his little purple stole on and we were all set up in the like sort of confessional style and, and I started, and he said, go ahead. And I start to read the list. Can you for a moment just think about um, like one of the, you don't even have to, if you can't imagine the worst thing, what's the worst thing you remember doing? If you could just think it. Don't worry, I will not make you say it out loud. Just now imagine if you were sitting in front of someone and you had to just say it. The reason it feels so hard is because we're not actually sure we're forgiven. It's not just that it's embarrassing or humiliating. It's that deep down there's still shame within us that holds us and tells us if someone heard this out loud, if God heard me say this out loud, you would finally be held accountable. I thought, I'm going to say a couple of these things, and he's going to stand up and say, get out! I thought I was going to be able to forgive you today, but I can't. May the Lord have mercy on your soul, but I won't. But I read through my list, and it was like I was reading a grocery list to this guy. When I was done, he was like, okay. Anything else? He's like, are you serious? Anything else? Yeah, you got anything else? No, that's it. We prayed together and he, in Jesus' name, absolved me of my sins. And it was powerful because I went, oh, I said the thing out loud. I spoke out loud about who I am and the things that I've done. And I am still loved and I am still cared for. And friends, I don't know that we all believe that about ourselves. I don't know that we fully understand that we are actually genuinely forgiven. Y'all think about it. If the story of Jesus never escaped Jerusalem, if the Roman soldiers had gone up and rounded up all of the apostles the day after Jesus' resurrection and slaughtered them all and we didn't have any of the stories of Jesus, we didn't have any of the Gospels, you would still be forgiven today. If none of us even knew about Christ, you would still be forgiven today because of the work that God has done. God has forgiven us. This is a true thing about who we are. It is as foundational to us as anything. We are utterly and completely forgiven. Can we act like it? Because forgiveness is not just a moment in time. It is a process. It is actually, forgiveness is a way in which we view the world, the way we live in the world. Forgiveness is not about how you choose to deal with one person. Forgiveness is about how you live in this world. This is why this servant in this story, he doesn't understand forgiveness. Because he's not able to see the person who's, who owes him anything. He's not able to see him the same way that his master has seen him. He still looks around and is counting the cost. He still looks around and is taking score. Jesus is trying to obliterate the score taking, the scorekeeping. 
Jesus is trying to get us out of the mindset of saying, this is how many times I will forgive you, and not one more time. And Jesus is drawing us into a place of consistent, of active love and mercy with the people with whom we share this life. I used to think that um, everybody was good, like all people were good. Everybody's, everybody, in, deep down, everybody's good. Friends, I don't believe that anymore, at all. I also don't believe that everyone's rotten. And I was like, there is this sort of, if you go through sort of Christian education, there are different kinds of approaches, and some people will say that, you know, um, uh, that, that people are fundamentally corrupt. I mean, there are whole swaths of Christian theology that say people come out of the womb just destined for hell because we're rotten at the core. And the counter to that is, no, 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 we're all holy and wonderful. And the truth is, neither of those things are real. The reality is, we are good and bad. We are beautiful and ugly. Not, I don't mean like good people over here and bad people over here. I mean, each one of us has such beauty and love inside of us. And we also carry within us so much fear and hatred. We have pettiness and, and generosity, both within us at the same time. We have amazing hopes and we have deep anxieties. We are complicated people. And amidst all of this, one of the deepest anxieties we carry is that if someone were to see the truth of who we are, we would not be loved. We would not be accepted. We believe we are unforgiven. And this affects how we treat each other. Because we cannot accept our own forgiveness, we find it difficult to forgive others. We think it's our job to hold them accountable. And our relationship with the truth is skewed. You know, the last few uh, years we've been doing this work in the church, Becoming Beloved Community, uh, this work of... Um, focusing on racial justice and healing and reconciliation. And, and some people are just like, maybe if I ignore it, he'll stop talking about it, <laughs> and I won't. Um, but the thing is that I find interesting is when we invite people to take some of these uh, classes or programs, some people will do it, some people won't, but some people will say, uh, oh, great, like, you just want me to go and feel guilty. I'm not really interested in going and being made to feel guilty about who I am. Isn't it amazing that we think that telling the truth about who we are is supposed to make us feel guilty? Isn't that fascinating? That we actually think that if we're confronted with ugly truths about ourselves, about our history, about things we might be involved in in any way, we go, well, that's just there to make me feel guilty. Where is the forgiveness in our hearts? Do we not understand that even in our own ignorance and in our own complicity with evil, we are forgiven? We are loved by the God who will not let us go. If we could believe that, imagine the truths about ourselves we could face. If we could believe that we are loved immeasurably and unconditionally by the God who knows the darkest parts of our hearts. If we could believe that, how would we operate differently in this world? Our relationship with the truth, our relationship with our God, our relationships with one another. You all owe God $60 million. No, you don't. Any, it's, it's gone. Any debt you might think you owe, anything you think is standing between you and the God who made you, 
has been erased, blotted out, obliterated. You belong to God. To believe that will change the way you love this world. In Jesus' name.